Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. To make sure our heart is right with the Lord, that we're not focusing primarily on the external things of life, though, hey, it's important how we appear to others, but it's even more important that that appearance has a reality behind it, that when people look at our lives, when Jesus looks at our lives, he doesn't call us as he did them, hypocrites, posers, actors. We now begin Matthew chapter 15. In Pastor Sam's message, Defiled, we are looking at the first 20 verses of this chapter. Herein, Jesus points out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees as they try to enforce their traditions while at the same time break the laws that God had given them. He points out that it's not what comes into our bodies that defiles us, it's what's in our hearts and comes out of us. Matthew 15, the first 20 verses, the title of our message, Defiled. I don't have to tell you that our society is in real trouble. It's not just that there are problems in the Middle East or problems in the Balkans or problems in other places. We're in trouble here in America. And there is a debate raging. Sociologists suggest to us that the reason for the great stress and trouble and and tensions we're experiencing, well, they're primarily environmental and, and primarily have to do with our upbringing. Psychologists suggest that, well, if we just go back to what's happened in the past, we could probably figure out what messed us up or what's messing us up. Well, I like to suggest that I agree with them if we'll go all the way back, because if you get to Adam and Eve, you find the real reason society is having such problems. The problem, you see, is sin. It's inherent in me. It's inherent in you. We were born with the sin nature. Though Adam was created in the image of God, in the nature of God, well, we were born with Adam's image. And that image is one who had fallen from grace through rebellion and disobedience. It's interesting to look then at Matthew 15 as we see Jesus dealing with some very, well, religious people, spiritual from the outward appearance. In fact, people would have looked on at this group he's about to deal with, we're about to consider together, is the most spiritual, conservative, religious people of their day. And yet the Lord's going to say, you guys are completely defiled. The word means unfit for worship, for fellowship, and for service. They were unfit, though Outwardly, they looked very good. They were defiled because inwardly, well, their hearts were far from God. And if there's anything we can take home from the lesson we're about to encounter here in Matthew 15 is to make sure our heart is right with the Lord. That we're not focusing primarily on the external things of life. Though, hey, it's important how we appear to others. But it's even more important that that appearance has a reality behind it. That when people look at our lives, when Jesus looks at our lives, 
He doesn't call us as he did them, hypocrites, posers, actors. Well, it all begins here in the first couple of verses. The scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, now they followed him up to Capernaum from Jerusalem. We saw a previous encounter over the law, the disciples walking through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and they were a little bit upset about that whole situation. And now they ask the question, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. You got to know that the heart of a Pharisee, the heart of a scribe was, well, it was really about appearance. What people saw in them or thought of them and what they focused on was everything observable and, and recognizable outwardly without really giving consideration to what was going on inwardly. So. They love rules. Why? You can obey them, you see. You can, at least when people are watching, you can obey the rules. You can keep the regulations. You can observe the restrictions. You can observe the rituals. And they were all about that. Rules, restrictions, regulations, rituals. They love to make a pretense, though, a show of their spirituality. And that, in and of itself, was enough to... Well, for anybody who really was thinking it through to realize that something's not right with these guys. And we want to make sure this doesn't happen to us. And here's why. People see through it. While we might be able to convince ourselves, well, hey, I'm so much more spiritual than I used to be. I don't know if that's necessarily or automatically true. While I will give it that it's way better to be in church than not going to church. Way better to sing the songs than to not sing them. Way better to study than the Bible than to not study it. It's a vast improvement if all those things are happening. But if our heart isn't for the Lord and toward the Lord and soft and receptive to the Lord, well, then all of that is pretense. It's hypocrisy. Well, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, where I was raised as a young Christian, we used to sing a song there. It's more than two decades old. It said, He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. That song, well, it comes straight out of Scripture. It tells us what God is really after, that we would do justly, that we would love mercy and we would walk humbly. Now, the scribes and Pharisees, well, they were anywhere but there and they were doing anything but that. They were so enamored with the traditions of their elders and their forefathers. And again, our generation, very much the same. There are a lot of things if you ask religious people, well, why do you do that? They say, well, we've always done that. In fact, some time ago, someone told me, you know, the, the last five words of a dying church, we always did it that way. Or is that five words? We always did it that six words did it that way. But the thing is, is you got to ask why we're doing what we're doing. And sometimes you even start out doing something the Lord's instructed you to do. But you've grown since then and you're in a new place and the Lord's wanting to move you on a bit further or take you a bit deeper. And you're like, well, I'm still doing what I used to do. It used to make me happy, used to please the Lord. 
The question is, Lord, what do you want from me today? Well, these guys, as I shared, sticklers when it came to the traditions, and they come and they're upset that Jesus' disciples are not observing the tradition of the fathers in regards to the washing of their hands before they ate. Now, don't imagine for a moment that the issue was good hygiene. It is a good idea, by the way, to wash your hands before you eat. In fact, it's a good idea to wash your hands regularly. But that's not what they were upset about. It was the fact that they weren't going through this traditional ceremonial washing. And it was elaborate, you see. First you had to wash the cups themselves that you would then use to pour the water over your hands. And you'd get them in a certain position so all the water could go over and drip down here. Then you'd get them in another position so the water would come and drip down there. And, and it's like you're doing this and you're doing that. And all the meantime, people are watching and thinking, wow. It's amazing, you know. Yeah, it is. It's like a little sideshow of washing your hands. But it had nothing to do with spirituality. And that was their big mistake. They thought because our dad did it, hey, and isn't that how we've learned to do most of the things we do? We watched grandpa and great-grandpa and we watched dad and mom and we do what they did. In fact, we even do a lot of things they did that we thought were stupid and we couldn't believe they did it. Now we're older and we do it. How many of you, when you were young, said, when I'm a parent, I'll never do that. I'll never say that. I'll never treat my kids that way. Now you're exactly like them. Because traditions are handed down, whether they're handed down on purpose or just they're handed down by observance. So the scribes and Pharisees, they're all into this outward thing. And Jesus, of course, is way interested in the inward thing, the reality behind whatever's going on. So he answers them, as he often does, with a question. And he says, well, why do you transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? He had so many possible examples he could have used. He pulls one out of the fifth commandment. He says, God commanded, saying, honor your father and mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. He takes them back first to the Ten Commandments and he says, Fifth Commandment, honor your father and mother. Exodus chapter 21 goes on to say, if a child abused his parents verbally or physically, well, the penalty was death. And so he says, you guys are troubled over the traditions. I'm troubled over your neglect of and disobedience to the commandments of God. Now, Here's how they were getting around it. They, they thought they'd found some kind of loophole. I remember reading about uh, someone asking W.C. Fields, observing him reading a Bible and a little surprised to see him doing so. They said, hey, what are you doing, man? I didn't know you were religious. You're, what are you doing reading the Bible? And he said, looking for loopholes. And uh, I think that's what these guys were doing. Because it says in verse 5, he says, you say, whoever says to father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me has been dedicated to the temple, is released from honoring his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Now here's what was happening. The Bible said, honor your father and your mother. Now that means to, of course, esteem them, to respect them, and all of those things, but it means more. It actually means to provide for them. And in that agricultural society, and that's the society that 
these things were birthed out of. Families lived together, as they still do, by the way, in many parts of the world. The grandparents lived with the parents and then the children and the grandchildren and it just all generations and so when you're young everybody's working and as you get older the older can't work and it just well you work and take care of them these guys thought they'd found a loophole to all this and what they were doing is they were dedicating all they had to the temple or dedicating all they had to the ministry as it were now this is something you could do but the problem was when dad and mom needed some financial or physical help, they'd say, wow, really like to help you out. But the problem is, dad, we've already dedicated all we have to the temple. Now, this was really the, the heart of the problem. You could dedicate it at any time and then actually give it whatever time you chose. So you could dedicate it today and turn it over 20 years from now. Or you could take a sacrifice up. The priest would keep some. Some was offered to the Lord and you could take some back home to feast on. And that was a regular occurrence. So they were getting around God's clear command or thought they were to honor, to provide, to take care of their parents by saying, well, like to do it, but I made a vow, I made an oath, I made a promise. Now, there's some clear teaching in the Old Testament. If you make a bad oath, if you make a bad promise, you're supposed to go back and beg out of it. Say, forgive me, I never should have made such a foolish oath. I never should have made such a foolish promise. I can't keep my oath or my promise. Now, there was actually provision made for doing such a thing because, well, God knew men would be foolish enough to vow something and then carnal enough to say, well, I can't obey this command because I've made an oath, I've made a vow. There are people like that all around us. I'm not saying all around us gathered together in here today. There are people out on the streets that are saying, because at some point in their life they were burnt by a Christian or had a bad experience at church, I'll never darken the door of a church again. And they're kind of even feeling maybe some of them tugged to come back around or check things out. But because of their foolish oath, I'll never do that. I swear I'll never do that. Well, you just got to tell him, it's a bad oath. Just ask the Lord for forgiveness and get back into fellowship. Pursue the Lord, you see. And that's what these guys had done. Now, Jesus dealt with this earlier on in our gospel, our study of Matthew's gospel, by simply telling us, don't make any oaths or promises. Don't swear by heaven. Don't swear by earth. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. So the issue that's presented to Jesus is outward. It's ceremonial. It's about an observance of a tradition. But the issue on the heart of Jesus is inward, and it has to do with the commands of God. And I'd suggest it's always going to be that way. God's word has a lot to say about how we act and how we talk and how we present ourselves. But, but the issue with God is always the inside first and then the outside. We have a natural tendency to focus on the outside. Why? Well, it's easier to change our appearance than to change our reality. It's easier to learn the stuff and, and go through the motions than it is to be a transformed person. Let's face it. 
God is doing an amazing thing in making us into people more like his son Jesus. That's a difficult work even for Almighty God. Can he do it? Yes, he's promised to. He says, he who began the good work will be faithful to complete it. But while that work's taking place, we want to make sure that we're not putting on a show, that we're not putting on a front, that, that we're honest about who we are and the struggles we go through. Why? Then, then people who care and are mature can reach out to us and redirect us and encourage us to go the direction God wants us to. Well, God's commandment, honor, they weren't. God's commandment, take care of your parents, they weren't. And then he nails it in verse 7 by saying, Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me or their heart is far from me, excuse me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He calls them hypocrites. That word simply comes from a word that we would translate today, actor. There's not necessarily or isn't anything necessarily wrong with being an actor, as long as everyone knows you're acting. If you're in a play, you're supposed to act. But in real life, you're supposed to be for real. And what they were doing is they were putting on a show. They were wearing a mask. They were pretending to be pious and spiritual while all the time their hearts were corrupt. And their lifestyles, well, at least from what God could see, looking on their hearts was corrupt. So here's the heart of the problem. It was a problem of the heart. The people drawing near with their mouth, honoring with their lips, but hearts were far from him. Now, Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all and desperately wicked. And until we come to grips with that fact, well, we'll never cry out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you've bought into the idea, as many have in our society and this generation, that people are basically good, that people basically are trying to do the right thing, they're just struggling to. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. In fact, we can't even know our own hearts. And so he asked the question, and who can know them? And God says, I know them. I test the hearts and I test the minds. So since God knows my heart and the word reveals my heart, well, then I can be honest before God in my prayers. And I learned this very early on. It's the best to just say, Lord, you know you know, you know everything about me. You know my thoughts, you know my attitudes, you know my actions. I can fool people, but I can never fool you. And so we don't go to him and say, Lord, you know, I'm trying my best or Lord, you know, I'm struggling with this. No, you just go to the Lord and say, Lord, I haven't tried at all. Or I've made an appearance of trying. Years ago, I was counseling a, a couple. We don't really do counseling anymore. We will do, you know, tell you what the Bible says about your problem. And if you don't want to deal with that, what can we do to help you? But, but, but I was talking to this couple and, and they were coming to me and, and they were coming regularly. But the guy, and it had to do with some alcohol and drug problems and some abuse that resulted from those issues, those habits. 
And they were coming to me week after week. And, and finally, I looked at them and I said, you know what? There's no change. Nothing's happening. And he goes, hey, I'm doing way better. And I go, in what way? How so? He goes, I've been coming to these sessions every week. And I'm like, yeah, wasting my time and wasting yours. Why? Because getting help isn't going to tell someone, yeah, I still need help. I still need help. I haven't changed. I, I'm trying to change. I, I really want to change. I've observed that people that really want to change do. That's just a fact. I've watched people go in and out of rehabs, come out and go right back into the lifestyle that sent them to the rehab in the first place. Am I against rehab? No, not at all. But if you go, you better come out a changed person or you've wasted your time, your energy and somebody's money. But, but here's the thing. People that want to change, they do. They want to stop something, they can. They want to start something, what well, you can. But... To pretend in our own minds, well, I'm somewhere I'm not or I'm doing something I'm not because, well, that makes me feel better about me, that the effort. I want to succeed, not just make an effort. I want to change, not just make a pretense of desiring to change. And I pray that's what's going on inside each and every one of you as well. Well, they were worshiping, you see, outwardly, singing the songs, praising the Lord, honoring him with their lips, but he says their hearts were far from him. And their worship, vain and fruitless. Their teaching, he says, well, instead of God's word, they were teaching the doctrines, or as doctrines, the commandments of men. Now, this still happens, but understand the context in which Jesus is speaking these words. In his day, most religious teachers were very fond of quoting other religious teachers. It would be rare to have someone say, thus says the Lord. Well, that might be a historical thing too. See, that's what Jeremiah said. And well, they bruised and battered him. They put him in a dungeon. I mean, a lot of bad stuff happened to the guys who stood up and said, thus says the Lord. So by this day, people are saying, well, as Rabbi Shimei says and Rabbi Hillel says, and they say, well, what do you say? Well, I kind of like what Shimei says on that. And well, I kind of go with Hillel on this. And really, people were not taking responsibility for what they taught. They weren't willing to get out there and put themselves on the line and say, thus says the Lord. But that's what God requires of us. Not that we say, well, Pastor Sam says, or I heard on the radio, or hey, even Billy Graham says. You know what I love about Billy Graham? He says, the Bible says. Man, that's what people need to know. That's what we all need to know. What does the Bible say? And when we get into the commandments of men, or the traditions of men, or the commentaries say this, or the commentaries say that, or this religious leader says this, what does the Lord have to say is what we really need to be asking. What does the Word have to say? I love all those years I was at Calvary Costa Mesa and I continue to listen to my pastor, Chuck Smith, regularly, though I've been gone for over 20 years from down there now. I listen to him and, and he always starts every study the same way. Let's turn in our Bibles to... And man, that's, that's what we need. We need to do that Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning. We need to do it every single night as well. We need to take our pocket Bible and be opening it at lunch so people who are around us can say, hey, you're a Christian, right? Yeah, and what does the Bible say about, you know? 
That's what they really need to know. If they ask, what do you think about it? You need to say, you know what? Let me tell you what the Bible says about because that's what was going wrong here. These guys, into the commandments of men, into the traditions of men, into the religious experience, but their hearts were far from the Lord. So for us, as believers, we need to know God's word, we need to obey God's word, and then we need to share God's word. The Bible says, preach the word, teach the word. And that's not just for pastors and elders and Sunday school teachers. That's something all of us have the opportunity to do and the responsibility to do. To know the word, to obey the word, and then to teach the word. In 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul gives us a warning to heed where he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. It really was not that different for those Pharisees as they paid more attention to their traditions than they did to the true meaning of the scriptures God had given them. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico and you can visit our website ccchico.com or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.